0: Welcome to Bad Dad, Rad Dad, where we look for better dads, one movie at a time. I'm Kylie,
1: and I'm Elliot,
0: and we're gonna talk about the movies we watched this week before crowning the baddest dad and raddest dad of them all. And as always, dad is an energy, not a gender.
1: So there's this, there's a number of things I want to talk about. Like, a number, yeah. Th- <laughs> there's there's a lot of things I want to talk about. What is with the you. number? Oh, I think there's like six things. I
0: want to talk with you. About.
1: but they're all good. Oh, okay, except for except one. For one. Yeah. So why don't you lead us in with the bad news and then we'll get to the good stuff.
0: Yes, part of being a human in this world that likes media is being gutted by hearing that somebody whose art you are really meaningfully attached to is um is or has committed actions that don't morally jive with what you think a good person is. Yeah. So the latest news that's come out about Win Butler of Arcade Fire has been pretty disappointing for us, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Um, because we've talked about Arcade Fire pretty fondly more than once on this show, we've spoken about how much we've, you know, been attached to the music, how much it's been a part of our relationship and our individual lives, how meaningful it is to us. We just think it's important to say that we believe the people that have come forward. Yeah. And that... Um, we will now be navigating a really difficult understanding of how to relate to the music that's already been created. That's been meaningful for us, but it undoubtedly won't look the same. Yep. Um, and it's an easy choice to not support projects he's in in the future, including not buying tickets to his upcoming show. Yeah. So if you haven't read about it, it's um, pretty awful. Yep. And there's a Pitchfork article that kind of details things pretty um thoroughly. But if you're going to read that, you know, just read with caution because it's very upsetting and Yeah, so ooh, yeah. that's the bad news. Yeah.
1: Let's uh let's get to the let's get to the fun stuff. So the first thing first thing I want to talk about is just that we revealed our new look online this oh, week. Oh yeah, fresh new look. Yeah, very excited about it. Um yeah, we've, you know, after 25 episodes, we're like, yeah, like we really would, we really want to get our faces out there and, you know, kind of find ways to kind of punch up our look outside of just throwing the logo out there, which, you know, the logo's great, if I do say so myself.
0: <laughs> Who made the logo? Uh, I
1: don't know. I don't know. Um, But yeah, we threw it out there, got a really great response. Um, I think that it's uh we're it's going to be trickling out in a few other places as well. um TBD. But uh yeah, no, we're really excited about that. Got a really good response. And then the next thing I want to talk about is we finished League of Their Own. Yes. The, the TV show. Yes. Um I was pretty happy with it at the end of it, What would you think?
0: Yeah, I really liked it. I I think the one thing that could potentially be a disappointment is if it doesn't get picked up for a season 2. Yeah. It doesn't have a resolved story by season one um, and I'm attached to the characters and want to see where they go. Yeah. But it's it's very good. It's a very gay.
1: Yeah. Love it.
0: Uh, very queer. Um, it definitely incorporates more non-white stories than the original mm-hmm, one. Mm-hmm. Um, and In a great I, way. In a great way. Yeah, and so I, I love to see it. So highly, highly recommend.
1: Yeah, I agree. The next piece of exciting things that came out this week is there was a 30 second teaser for The Last of Us on HBO. Holy (laughs) moly! That dropped. I don't know. Like I was always excited for this show to come out, but seeing footage of it now, it's like probably my my most anticipated TV show that's coming out.
0: I also felt similarly where I was like, "Yeah, I'll watch it." Yeah. And I'm. I think. The casting of um, Pedro Pascal is a good casting choice. Like when they announced that, I was like, oh, he will be a good Joel. Mm -hmm. But when I saw that 30 seconds, oh, I like I I have no words. Like, I don't know that I've been that excited about something based on a trailer in a long time. I agree. And I wish it was coming out today. (laughs) Yeah. Because I don't want to wait.
1: Well, it was nuts. Like even the one line that he delivered in that trailer, like he sounded like Ooh, Troy boy. Baker. Like he sounded like Joel. It was so uncanny.
0: And when you have played the game and you see the little sections they're pulling from, like all oh, the reveal of who another actor is, did we know that that actor was going to be in it?
1: I don't think so. Oh, I didn't.
0: I'm so excited about that, too. Yeah. And, you know, parts of it filmed in Edmonton, that's cool
1: yeah Edmonton Calgary
0: yeah but we are from Edmonton <laughs> so <laughs> who cares about Calgary
1: yeah it was like the smallest little peak and even in that smallest peak like I almost don't want to see anymore I just want the the show to come out it yeah, was I'm, gonna perf- watch,
0: I'm gonna watch more oh yeah
1: <laughs> but it's a it's a really great tease I'm really excited for that uh the next piece that was also really cool so we went and saw we took our buddy Ashley to see Marcel Lachelle with shoes on again this week. Yeah. And it was even better on a rewatch. Yeah. We enjoyed it even more.
0: It's so good. It's so beautiful. The dialogue is so smart. Yeah. Funny. Oh, it's the, amazing. The
1: effects, the visual, like it's it's gorgeous. I think we cried even more because we knew we were anticipating what was coming up. Mm-hmm. And I think that our heart, it just made us heart-swelly even mm-hmm. <laughs> preemptively. And then, yeah, Ash, Ashley loved it, but we sent out a post about the three of us going, and we got a retweet from Dean Flesher Camp.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, are we best friends now?
1: Pretty, I think that when that's what that When you reposted a story
0: and retweeted, I think that means that you're like crisscross applesauce best friends.
1: I like, think so, too.
0: Um, also, our Twitter is at 33 followers up from 18, so man we're making progress we're crushing it if you want to get us three more so we can double that count <laughs> at bad dad rad dad it's so like not on only
1: are us and i'll call him dean best friends now
0: <laughs> but we've got 33 <laughs> followers so
1: we're basically famous we're on basically
0: Twitter. basically famous i will say i'm um using twitter a little bit more proactively mm-hmm. so you want to hear my hot takes about things <laughs> um, I, up. Kylie, am the one who runs all the social media. <laughs> so when you see things written, ninety-nine percent of the time, it's from me.
1: You're the words. I'm the pictures. Yep. There's one last thing. This came up, and I wanted to get your take on this. Oh, this is very like not related to the show, but oh, I thought that this was an interesting question. So we were doing some icebreakers with some new people at work the other day, mm-hmm. and one of my buddies uh, that I work with. Asked this question, and it has been on my mind all week ever Ooh, since I heard it.
0: You've been saving this? Because, like, we live together. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm mean, going okay. keep it secret. So, wow, okay. It's, a, like, it's on the surface, it's a pretty dumb question, but a very contemplative question.
0: All right, I'm ready. Hit me.
1: In the world, do you think that there's more wheels or doors?
0: Wheels. Why? Just because there are.
2: Yeah.
0: But, I mean, we're not just talking wheels on cars. We're talking wheels on toy cars. We're talking wheels on, like, fridges so you can move them. We're talking wheels on dollies. Mm -hmm. Like, not dollies, like, that you play with. Like, dollies that you move things with. Like, there's wheels everywhere. Yeah. And what constitutes a door? Like, not a doorway. No. A door. It's a door. So definitely wheels. Easy question. Why is that troubling you?
1: Well, I was thinking, I think what was breaking my brain? Because I agree with you. I think that it's wheels.
0: Yeah, so that's obviously right.
1: But I'm th- I was thinking of it in terms of like a car, right? Like there's four, four wheels plus the steering wheel and then maybe like wheels within the engine that could be like considered wheels. Like if you consider like gears or cogs or like the... The bits that like <laughs> the like um I don't know the I don't know car stuff. The bands go around, you know. Yeah. Um But then, like the doors—is the four doors, the back door, the glove well, compartment?
0: Not all cars have a back door. They have a trunk. That's not a door.
1: A boot. Uh, the hood.
0: That's not a door.
1: Why is that not a door?
0: Because <laughs> it's not a door. A door, by definition, would have a handle that you can turn. Okay. So that's why, like, I don't know which of your buddies at work asked this question, but it's not a good question.
1: It is a good question.
0: (laughs) Well, when this recording is done, I want the names of who asked this question. Singular. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to tell them it's a bad question.
1: (laughs) That's a bad question, PD.
0: I don't know if that person listens to our show. Probably not. But uh, whoever you are. (laughs) I think think they might. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Just (laughs) roasted them. I don't. I'm sorry. This is the <laughs> obvious answer.
1: Um. Okay. Let's.
0: Apologies. <laughs> I didn't realize this was such a contemplative, controversial question.
1: I, I mean, I've just been thinking about it, but that might be my undiagnosed ADHD. <laughs> Probably. But, um. Okay. Let's get into. Yeah, we have a lot of movies to talk about. So show let's proper. Stop,
0: stop talking about doors and wheels, and yeah. start talking about movies.
1: Uh, we watched five bad boys this week. we um, bad
0: girls. Or bad people.
1: Yeah. Bad ones. Yeah. Um, but, but the movies ones. aren't bad. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> so the first movie was my mystery movie pick, and I chose the movie My Life as a Zucchini.
0: Can you say it in French?
1: My Life as a Zucchini.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you, sounded, you sounded like the narrator from SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs>
1: Three hours later.
0: No, I bet like... Isn't it Mavi au courgette? <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's how good Elliot's French If we is. had
1: a French audience, we just lost our French audience. Yep. So it came out in 2016. <laughs> it's an animated comedy slash drama directed by Claude Barras. Um, but it was written by Celine Schiama, um, who wrote and directed Petite Maman. Which is one of the, our favorite movies that we've seen recently, as well as Portrait of, of a Lady on, on fire. fire, which is another one of our favorite movies. Mm-hmm. I had no idea if she was involved in this movie. Mm, me neither. Um, but after watching it, it's the kind of story I'm not surprised she was the one pending it. Yeah. There's a lot of writers on this guy. So um, there's contributing writers. So there's Claude Barris, the director, Morgan Navarro, Germano Zulu, Zulo. Um, and then it's based on the novel. By Giles Paris um and then the English script, because it's there's a there's an English version and a French version uh the English scripts are by Christian Lamont and Michael Cternellacas but the synopsis of this one after losing his mother, a young boy is sent to an orphanage with other orphans, his age where he begins to learn the meaning of trust and true love hmm, sweet sweet uh so we watched because we didn't have a choice on the sc- the streaming service we were using. We watched the English dub version.
0: Yeah, regrettably. Had we had a choice, we definitely would have had Crave had an option to switch to the French version, we would have switched to the French version. Yeah. But we wanted we didn't want to pay additional money.
1: Yeah. So we watched the English dub version and the the voices in that in that version are Eric Abate as Zucchini, Nick Offerman as as Raymond, Will Forte as Mr. Paul and Elliot Page as Rosie. So I chose this one because we last week we were kind of talking about stop motion and we watched Mad God and I've just kind of had stop motion on the brain and I kind of wanted to keep riding that wave. So uh and this came out when this came out I remember wanting to see it and it's just kind of been sitting on the on the peripheries for a while and i'm like let's let's do this and it was like during the week too so the, the runtime was was great i think it's just over an hour so it's perfect for a weeknight watch but uh what'd you think of my life as a zucchini great title so good oh yeah
0: like i feel like i like this has just always been on my radar because it's like who can forget that title mm-hmm. but i didn't know much about it um Me neither. And I definitely, like you said earlier, didn't know that Selene Skiyama had um, been like the main writer of the original screenplay. But Selene Skiyama has this way of, in the films we've seen that she's done, simultaneously blending like beauty and despair. Yeah. Like hope and tragedy. Like just in in the same breath, these things are happening. Mm -hmm. um, Without it being like too saccharine or like too pat you know, and that exists here as well. Really interesting to see it translated into like, I think this film is for kids, mm-hmm. especially considering the runtime. Like if I have a complaint about this film, it's that I think it's too short. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think it, you know, it's, it's set in an orphanage and we kind of just learn about why these kids are here in really quick ways. Like we get little glimpses of why they're there. Mm. And so I think that it honors honors probably the wrong word, but it doesn't hide the trauma and tragedy that exists in all children's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is ultimately like a happy hopeful story. Yeah. But I like as I was watching it, I couldn't help being like, how realistic is it that there's like a good orphanage?
2: hmm
0: (laughs) like does that does that exist where like kids are put into an orphanage and like everybody there is loving and caring and they're a family i mean does that exist in the world
1: i mean i i think that we are so accustomed to just from movies and books and just pop culture storytelling that if you're in an orphanage it's just the worst of the worst yeah and that everybody's cruel all the adults are cruel. Uh, All the kids are doinks to each other, but I like to, I like to optimistically think that there's at least one orphanage out there where the adults give a shit and that the kids kind of form their own little community together.
0: I mean, I guess to a degree, Short Term 12 is kind of like the realism version of this. I read a
1: review that was like, this is the kids version of Short Term term 12." 12. Yeah.
0: And this is a kid's movie. So like I felt like it did a really good job of not shying away from the fact that these kids have experienced some pretty heavy tragedy. Oh, yeah. Well, also because it's a kid's movie, not exploiting that or like being too graphic about it. Um, But I did feel like I wanted more of an understanding of all of the characters and particularly the character Raymond. Right. Like I kind of didn't. Understand where his motivations came from, there's like a brief scene that kind of helps understand, but I you know there's this bond that's formed between Raymond and Zucchini that like we don't get a lot of context or backstory for why it exists, and we're just kind of meant to go with it, which again, maybe is just like the nature of a movie made for kids, yeah, where like maybe kids don't want these like extensive backstories. I don't know, but I did feel like i I could have used a little bit more. Mm -hmm. about all of the characters.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's fair. Um, I I mean, I love character-driven stuff, so Mm -hmm. I always love if we're able to get more context, get more characterization, get more background. I think that's great. But I think for this condensed story that Mm -hmm. they wanted to tell, I don't feel like they dropped the ball necessarily. No, I don't either. And it all still works. But yeah, I, I could have gone... I could have gone full hour and a half. Like, I feel like if they even added like an extra 20 minutes um, of just kind of, yeah, showing a little bit of that background history of the characters, it, it would have worked perfectly.
0: But it is, the animation is beautiful in oh, like so this, great. like way that you wouldn't necessarily think is beautiful. There's this scene where they take a trip. Mm-hmm. That is possibly one of the most beautiful scenes I've ever seen in an, like a stop motion animation. Just in, when you combine the plot with the writing with the animation, it's, it's really beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that it does do what Celine Scamma does so well, which is like nail those small moments of both sadness and beauty that exist in the world. And like simultaneously
1: is I'm, I'm assuming we're thinking of the same one, but it's like the one image that'll probably stick with me from this movie of just, it's all of the kids standing there. And then we just kind of linger on them for a while and they're look, they're looking at something, but we linger on them for so long that you're kind of able to look at each of Mm -hmm. the characters faces and get kind of a glimpse into what each of them are feeling. Cause I feel, and it does such using claymation, they're able to convey so much emotion in the faces of each of these characters witnessing this moment. It's, it's incredible. And just this is why I love stop motion animation and claymation when it's just when it's just like slam dunk done really well because like the 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 care and the patience that goes into you know it's one thing to animate these things and make them move and articulate and whatnot it's another thing to get emotion out Mm. of inanimate objects Mm -hmm. yeah but
0: have you seen that Ikea commercial with the lamp
1: (laughs) yeah that's classic (laughs) That's great. That's that's great advertising. Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree too. I th- I think you were saying like this is also for me slime dunk Celine Skiyama storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um I just see broad strokes of what she did with Petite Mama in this. Um and I th- she tells really good stories about kids mm-hmm. and very like grown-up stories about kids, very real.
0: Yeah, she's not she has respect. For the experience of being a kid and doesn't mm. diminish it or look down on it, yeah, and think that children are lesser than adults, right mm-hmm. but neither does she um what's the word I'm looking for, like you know there's some films that like they're so so schmaltzy about childhood where it's like, oh, childhood is so amazing, and she doesn't do that either, yeah, where she like um puts childhood on a pedestal and like makes it this untouchable thing of like it's so perfect and you're never the same when you're you know once you're out of that like Mm -hmm. she just has this respect for the experience of being a kid and the highs and the lows of it
1: yeah like and there's characters that kind of start off one way and that you kind of think that they're one kind of person but then they evolve and they get a little bit more backstory you kind of peel back the layers a little bit and they actually become like some of my most liked characters in Mm -hmm. the movie and yeah there's there's just complexity there, and there's mm-hmm. care and I love that. I think it's so nice um I feel like what this movie did really well too with these characters, like especially like the kids uh within the orphanage, it did a good job of kind of depicting keeping your feelings inside and just kind of internalizing things a little bit more like there's
0: as a bad thing
1: uh no, just like as Something like these kids are kind of going through obviously difficult things in their lives and difficult scenarios, situations, living situations. And uh, they're kind of just you can kind of see again in them that they're internalizing that. And I I just relate to that. (laughs) I just relate to (laughs) that. Do you
0: think the film suggests that that is a strong strategy for coping with difficulty?
1: No, I'm just saying like I again, I think just in. The I think in what's conveyed in the animation and in the characterization of these characters, that they're very like they don't talk about this stuff. They mm. they just internalize everything.
0: Gotcha. You're just saying that like it you relate to the depiction of the difficulty in talking about your emotions. Exactly. Gotcha.
1: Yeah. You know, I feel, I mean, at least for me, you learn to do that as a kid. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then
0: you have to unlearn that as an adult if that's exactly. something you want to do.
1: Yep. Um and it, it's something I'm working on that's for sure. <laughs> but like I, I but I also feel like it does a good job of these kids kind of dropping the kid exterior and revealing some like deeper thoughts and emotions in there too. I just like I don't know, just they they absolutely nailed the just making these pieces of clay so emotive. Mm. Uh and I'll just kind of Run that point into the ground because uh, <laughs> it just like it really resonated for me in this.
0: Yeah, I wish that we had watched it in French though.
1: <laughs> I agree. Um, is there, yeah, there was also like a post credit scene, but they didn't bother doing the, an English dub of it.
0: Yeah, do you, um, did you look up what it was? No, I didn't. So it was the audition for the um French actor who voiced Zucchini, like, and they just like animated, they animated it? it. Oh, that's yeah. great. I love that. Um, and that, when they did that, they they like it plays on the film, but there was no dub or subtitles for it in English. I realized that I cannot understand French as well as I thought I could <laughs> because it spoke way like when it's in a a kid in like the kid voice speaking like not necessarily you know French designed to be understood in an academic setting. Right. Yeah. And it was so fast. I'm like, I heard the word divorce. <laughs> that's about it.
1: <laughs> and I was I was looking up stuff about this. This was shot in over two years. It yeah. took two years to make. Like
0: stop motion, man.
1: Yeah, I I just to like actually stop and think about that. Like when we were talking about Mad God last week, and that it's kind of it's been being made since the '80s, and then this like somebody like people chose to dedicate two years of their lives to like this thing that's just over an hour long. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, I just i i have so much respect for that because it just feels such like such a labor of love kind of thing, and you gotta gotta give him props. Um, but yeah, uh, I quite enjoyed this movie. I thought it, I thought it was great. There were some things that it wasn't like a total slam dunk for me, but i I didn't hate this movie. It was it was. A you good time. said
0: that's so weird. You liked this movie a lot. I did. So why did you say? I didn't hate this movie. It makes it sound like you barely liked it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I I did not barely like it. I did like it quite <laughs> I, a bit.
0: I know. <laughs> You're really, really being long-winded with your life as a zucchini.
1: <laughs> no kidding. Oh, let's, okay. what How did it make you feel?
0: It made me feel sorrowfully warm.
1: Hey, that's really nice. Yeah, it just, it just made me feel a range of emotions while I was watching it. Um, and that's kind of... My the fav- My favorite thing when watching movies is something that can make me feel a bunch of different emotions throughout the whole story.
0: Yeah. And then when you revisit it, depending on your current state, you'll tap into some of them more intensely than others. Yeah. Yeah. Yep.
1: No, exactly. All right. Your turn.
0: So it was my turn to pick a movie and it was the night before I returned to work. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I want to think about what I want to watch.
1: How do you want to send off Summer Kylie?
0: How do I want to send off Summer Kylie? And so I decided to pick something that I know I really love, but hadn't seen in a really long time. I don't know if you and I have ever watched this movie together, which means I haven't seen it in over 13 years. I picked the 1986 movie Stand By Me. So it's classified as a drama adventure. Mm. Interesting. I would add comedy into that, but... Whatever. Um, directed by Rob Reiner, otherwise known as Jess's dad from New Girl. <laughs> yeah. Um, written by Reynold, Reynold, Okay, Gideon and Bruce A. Evans, but it's also based on a novella called The Body by Stephen King. If you haven't seen Stand By Me and you haven't heard of Stand By Me, the synopsis is that after the death of one of his friends, a writer recounts a childhood journey with his friends to find the body of a missing boy. It stars Will Wheaton as Gordy Lachance, River Phoenix as Chris Chambers, Corey Feldman as Teddy Duchamp, Jerry O'Connell as Vern Tessio, and Kiefer Sutherland as Ace Merrill. I loved this movie as a kid.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like as a like, later elementary and then like into my preteen and teen years. I've seen this movie so many times I couldn't even tell you. Um, I've also read the novella more than once. Um... And I I wanted to revisit it and see what I felt of it at this point in my life. Um, What did you think of our revisitation to stand by me?
1: So I was kind of I was kind of thinking about this after we watched it. Um, I discovered this movie on my own like it was just another one of those movies where it was on TV or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I just sat down and watched it and I rewatched it many times over the years. It's like, and it's, I was kind of thinking about the fact that I discovered this on my own. Nobody showed it to me and it's not a kid's movie.
0: I mean, is it not a kid's movie?
1: I mean, in the, in the scheme of there's, <laughs> there's a lot of harsh language. They're looking for a dead body and there's some violence.
0: What would you call now and then a kids movie?
1: Again, like no. But, it's like a it, uh,
0: but I don't I, think either of them are necessarily for adults. I mean, they are. They they certainly are, but I don't think like that's the target audience.
1: I think it's more teen, and I was mm. watching it like way preteen. Me too. Yeah. But I was thinking about this cuz there's so many movies and we've talked about this on the show, or at least I've talked about this on the show, how I watch so many age inappropriate things mm-hmm. growing up because I just discovered them on my own or we own them and I like the, the cover art. So I just throw on a VHS or whatever.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But I'm I started wondering and I want to ask you, do you think kids are doing this today? Like just, you know, especially now post-pandemic when so many more kids are maybe at home or their parents are at home all the time, they're maybe a little bit more present and, you know, in control of what kids are watching do you think that there's fewer instances of kids discovering things that maybe aren't age appropriate on their own
0: I mean I think it's kind of like a it depends on the parents because I think it's never been more accessible to find things because of Netflix and yeah you know like I sometimes think when I hear what my students are watching that if it's on Netflix they'll see it (laughs) You know, and all yeah. of a sudden like everyone's talking about seven and it's because seven was just added to Netflix and it's like, oh, yeah, like, you know, that kind of thing. But if the parent, I also think it's never been easier for a parent to like be on top of what their kid's watching. Yeah. So I think it just depends on if like the streaming accounts and like phones and all of that are parent controlled or not
1: that's just it. Like it with, I feel like fewer and fewer people are collectors of physical media. So it's not like kids can just grab a DVD or a Blu-ray that they like the cover of and throw it on. If a family or a household only has streaming services and the parents have them all locked down there, there's probably little chance for that kind of discovery or, you know, you know, kids figuring out that maybe they do like horror at a younger age
0: Well, it depends because like our niece, um, who's 10 and a half or like close to 11, I think there's parent controls on her Netflix account and like she found Full House on her own and like became obsessed with it completely independent of anybody else. Mm -hmm. So I still think like even when there's parental controls on things, it's not like they can only watch SpongeBob SquarePants and Paw Patrol. Yeah. Right? Like Stand By Me might not be on there. There's a lot of swearing. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But I don't know. I think the one thing that I think is interesting is if there are, whatever, no parent controls and you can just scroll Netflix and find it, I feel like you there's a harder task on the movie to, like, appeal to somebody when they're scrolling and then appeal to them and what it says on the, like, little thing. Whereas I feel like I discovered a lot of stuff because I was, like, bored in the summer or on the weekends and I was just, sc- like going through channels and it was like mm. what was literally playing like that's how i saw rocky horror picture show for the first time where i was just like huh interesting title and there's nothing else on tv
2: yeah right well, whereas I...
0: here you've got like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of things to choose from did this one thing catch your eye when you were scrolling through yeah
1: i guess i guess the yeah i i did that too and the the oh. I guess the equivalent of the time would be me going to the video store and just like walking around the video store for like an hour looking for a
0: cover that bunch, st- dry. Yeah, a bunch
1: of stuff that I might But be even then in.
0: there's less the amount of options in like a blockbuster or a VHQ is less than the amount of options on Netflix. Yeah. So there's just so much. And I mean
1: A more enjoyable process though, going to the video store, I would say.
0: No, I think so too. I don't know. I that is a question we would have to I, I, students are in the classroom on Monday. I'll ask them.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've, we're not parents. We don't, we don't know what no. it's, what it's like to, you know, parent kids and be in control of what they're viewing and not viewing. But I was just kind of thinking about that. Just, you know, how I wasn't, you know, not that I had like free reign of anything. Like my parents shut stuff down, <laughs> down at certain points. But um yeah, I was just, you know, my, my curiosity led me to be the movie lover that I am now. And I'm wondering if if that's still happening and how that's oh, happening Oh, I because, think for
0: sure it's still happening.
1: Then I guess more so how. Yeah. And if it's still happening at younger ages or at older ages. Because yeah, you're right. Like our, our niece, she's just over 10, but she's seen all of Stranger Things multiple times, which I'm
0: pretty sure she's watched Full House like over a dozen times yeah. in its entirety and like has watched all of The Simpsons. Yeah. Or like almost all of The Simpsons because it's on Disney. So and I I don't think any I don't think her dad sat her down and was like, let's watch The Simpsons. So I think it's it's definitely still happening. Um, And then you have that on the other hand, like I know that my sister showed her now and then like many years ago. So yeah. yeah, I don't know. Uh, this is taking up more time than I <laughs> wanted it to because there's lots of things I want to talk about that are more personal. <laughs> Sorry.
1: Yeah. So getting back to Stand by Me, like I mean, this movie's iconic. Like uh, it's it's such a great story. I, I love this story. When I, it was so funny. I I looked up when I was looking it up on IMDb the poster. I didn't. I I don't know if this is like an alt poster or if somebody made it, but the. The poster is pretty iconic. Has a kind of like this co- iconic landscape on it, but it has like this big quote above it. And the quote that they pulled from the movie is, "If if I could only have one footie for the rest of my life, uh, that's easy. Pez, cherry flavor Pez, no question about it. I and I love that. That's the quote that they put on the poster.
0: It's on IMDb. Yeah, it's like the it main poster that they have <laughs> up
1: there. Like, what a great quote to put on the. Oh, poster. Oh no, that's
0: that's that's the poster. It's so funny. Yeah. Like I think, I think I, I think this movie has meant more to me than it has to you, perhaps. Or just so. Here is the thing. Here is the thing that, like your your big long question about, <laughs> yeah. is getting in the way of me wanting to talk about. In me picking this movie, is how much Stephen King means to me. Yes, which is not something that exists for you.
1: Not not in the same way. No.
0: No. What can you say about my relationship to Stephen King?
1: Um, I think that. He's just been, like, a really important writer. And, like, a, like. A, is it fair to say, like, he's, like, a comfort food writer for you? Like, you could...
0: Yes, but I think he's a good writer. Yeah. Like, I, I think people who denigrate him and just, like, dismiss him as a popular writer are jerks because I, you know, I'm somebody that likes to read the, like, literary stuff, I think he's a phenomenal writer. I think he has some real stinkers out there, but you can't write that many books and also spend, like, all of a period of your life on cocaine without writing some stinkers.
1: <laughs> but his, like, his imagination is incredible.
0: But it's so interesting because he... So, again, I I have liked Stephen King since I was too young to probably like Stephen King. Mm-hmm. I think I read The Shining when I was, like, 10.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I read It before I was in junior high. Like, I... I was really young for reading him. And so that was peak age to like be obsessed and learn everything you possibly can about a person.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I I think it was one of the first times we moved, I found just these like sheets and sheets of paper where I just like wrote down every Stephen King quote from like a book that I liked.
2: Mm. And it was
0: like dozens of pages of me just like writing out quotes from Stephen King books. <laughs> like I was, I was obsessed. And one of the things that he says is that he he feels... Like he is a archaeologist excavating stories that already exist. Mm,
2: mm -hmm.
0: And, you know, as a I teach creative writing and I've had students tell me this, like that's how they feel like these characters exist outside of them and they're just bringing life to their stories. And then I have other students who say like, no, like these feel like creations I made. And I've always been more on that side. And granted, I don't write a lot of fiction. I write more creative nonfiction. But I've always felt like, you know, I'm taking my own stuff and making it. But he has always said, like, he just feels like these ideas come to him fully formed and like he's just collecting them and putting them out there. Right. But man, he's a good writer. His stories are so good. And I think, you know, people sometimes forget that something like this or something like The Green Mile or Shawshank are Stephen King because they so associate him with horror or with the supernatural. Yeah. And he's written some really grounded, really powerful stories. And I think what Stephen King gets so right in everything that he does is that feeling of, you know, speaking about that feeling of being a kid, a feeling powerless mm-hmm. and also limitless at the same time, mm-hmm. right? He captures that so well. Um, if you come to our house and you walk around a bit, how will you know that I really like Stephen King?
1: Just the amount of Stephen King books that you have in our library.
0: <laughs> and they have their own little shelves. Yeah. I have literally no rhyme or reason to how I organize I think we have um, four bookshelves in the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have no rhyme or reason to how I organize them. They are not color-coded. They're not genre-coded. They are not alphabetical by title or author. But Stephen King gets his own shelf. Yeah. And it is like quadruple stacked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um So, yeah, Stephen King is so, so, so meaningful to me. Now, I also know both in this film and in his writing, especially his older writing, he uses a lot of, like, racist, ableist, homophobic language. And then that comes out in the movies, especially made in the 70s and 80s, which is always just like, oh, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's something that I always just feel a little bit like, oh, why? This kind of sucks, but... Stephen King's writing just like means so much to me and this story in particular does.
1: It's uh, it's interesting, too, because, uh, yeah, while I don't have the same relationship with relationship with Stephen King and his work. I feel like I have a, a sort of closeness with him in that growing up, my mom almost exclusively yeah. read Stephen King. Yeah. Like I remember very vividly there was always a Stephen King book that was out that was being read yeah. by my mom.
0: Her and I have definitely like bonded over that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like I remember like I've read a little bit of Stephen King. Like, I remember in fifth grade, my mom had these serialized books of The Green Mile. And I remember taking those to school and reading <laughs> those for like my reading assignments or whatever. Yeah,
0: I'd be bringing Stephen King books to read in junior high, like for when I finished an <laughs> exam early. Um
1: yeah, but like so
0: many good ones.
1: But I, you know, whenever I I watched a lot of the based on Stephen King movies growing up too, like there's, you know, and yeah, again, they're not all great. Um, I think that there is kind of this holy triumvirate of Stephen King adapters. We we talked about mm, this when we were watching it. Rob Reiner, Frank Darabont, and Mike Flanagan. Yeah. Um,
0: And I think what they all have in common is like a deep respect for the original material and for King as the creator of that. I read, I always get my trivia from IMDb trivia. Um, This comes from that, that after Reiner screened the movie for King, he saw that King was like visibly shaking and wasn't speaking. And then King left the room. And when he came back, he said that that was the best adapt adaptation of his work that he had ever seen. Yeah. And then I recently listened to um, Eli Roth's History of Horror podcast with Stephen King, he said he feels like the adaptation that best captured what was in his mind when he wrote it. So not like his favorite adaptation, but the one that best related what he was trying to convey was Misery, which is also done by Rob Reiner. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think that all three of those creators just have a respect for the original material and like involve King in the process and, you know, let him have a say before it's finally out to the public.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, and I, I, yeah. And there's like other adaptations by other directors that, that we love. Like, I I won't go through the ones we love, but I think of the adaptations, like those three have had multiple films that they've adapted from Stephen King's work that have worked really, really well. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Um, and I feel like stand by me is so important. Like you, you don't get stranger things without stand by me.
0: No, I feel like, you know, when I think about that kind of type of movie where there's a group of kids going on an adventure, but there's also a darkness to it. Mm -hmm. It's not the Goonies or what's the other Corey Feldman one? Lost Boys. Yeah. Well, I guess that's not quite the same thing because that's more about adults or like teenagers than it is about kids. But I am thinking like a group of kids like going on an adventure together. Like, what else was coming out around the time of, like, The Goonies? But I don't know, whatever. Movies like that, it's, it's now and then in Stand By Me that have always stood out to me. And I think it's reductive to just say that they're, like, the girl and boy version of each other. But in each of them, they're, like, hyper-realistic. Like, there's not this, like, supernatural element to it. And yet both of them have this, like, dark journey at their core where now and then they want to find out how this boy died. And in this one, they're going to find the dead body of a missing boy. And I remember being a kid and having like a bit of a fascination with like that darkness that exists in the world, like the the idea that a kid can die young, the, you know, like all of that being kind of fascinating and exciting. And what both of these movies capture so well is that when you're faced with the actual reality of it, it's incredibly sobering. And it's like that's both now and then in Stand By Me capture so well, like the idea, the archetype of like loss of innocence as being tied to like that moment where you realize that all of these things that are fun to thought experiment and think about in reality are like really incredibly sad. Mm-hmm. And both of those mo- movies have like a moment like that where it's like, oh, this isn't the fun adventure I thought it was. Mm-hmm it's actually like the world is cruel and difficult and sad. And and they're learning that along the way and they're having these realizations along the way culminating in this moment where like finding the dead body or finding out how the boy was killed or how the boy died are like, it's not the fun and games they thought it was, right?
2: Yeah.
1: But like movies like those, like E.T., things like Stranger Things, why do you think... We like the have
0: this enduring fascination with it. Like, why do we love it so much? (sighs) Well, I mean, I think it that particular, like, where they're capturing, you know, season one of Stranger Things and like Stand by Me now and then, where we're capturing this like late elementary time of like you're on the cusp of like independence, but you're not quite there yet, and you've still got that imagination and all of that. I think a lot of us just want to like sit in that time. And what's cool about Stand by Me to me is that I related to it when I was the boys' age, and I related to it as a teenager, and I relate to it now.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But all in, and same with Now and Then, which we'll probably shouldn't talk about too much now because eventually we'll actually watch it and talk <laughs> about it. Yeah. But like watching it this time, you know, I, I didn't feel the way I did as a kid, where I'm like, I want to go on adventures like those boys. I really related to like the frame story of the writer. Where like you think back on this, like you know, this time where life was really hard because you're a kid and you don't have the power to do the things you want to do or the independence to do the things you want to do. But you also have, or at least I relate to what this film suggests to you that kids have, which is that like idea of like the potential of everything around you and like everything still ahead of you. Mm-hmm. And there's this like wistful loss of that, right? And I, you know, I I relate to that character thinking back on that time. It's, It's sad. Yeah. And of course this film has this like deeper sadness because of the loss of River Phoenix. Yeah. Like that's just now baked into the emotional experience of watching this movie is knowing that River Phoenix died so young.
1: Yeah. No, you're totally right. Like you can't help but kind of feel a little bit sadder. When he's on screen, because he's all, everyone is great in this movie. Yeah. The characterizations are uh, like, you know, we t- like talking about my life as a zucchini, like they do a, good, a great job here, too, of just using they don't need a lot of time to delve into full on backstories of everybody, but you get who they are. You
0: get these little glimpses, right?
1: Like even in the first scene where you see all four of the guys together
0: mm-hmm.
1: in the treehouse. Mm hmm. You get everything you need to know about who these four people are.
0: And that to me comes from King. Like he yes. wrote those characters so well. This is one of those adaptations that's like pretty darn faithful to the original story. And yeah, like these characters, there's a sense of who they are. Um, it's, it will never not be funny to me to watch these like young boys swearing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's
1: that's another thing. Because I
0: di- I did that.
1: Well, that's you know you like, think
0: you're so cool for like saying the f-word when you're like 10.
1: But that's like the formula, right? That w- that we were talking about that that's maybe why we love this is like it's capturing these moment like these very specific moment in our lives when we're a certain age. But it's kind of like when you take that age and then you throw like adult language into it yeah. that you're just like it just it just gels and it's it's it just feels so real and true to the experience of a person
0: growing well, out and to me there's magic to it because it's not making fun of that no and so when you're that age you can like relate to it and be like yeah i'm like that but when you're older you can kind of laugh at it and be like oh my goodness i was like that yeah right yeah. it has a reverence for both experiences that doesn't um i think when we're talking about bodies 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 i was like well i don't know if people who are a part of that group are gonna like this movie because it's kind of making fun of them yeah whereas this I feel like you can be that age or not be that age and and still find an attachment to the film. Mm-hmm. <sighs> also, um, the pie-eating scene, I had totally forgotten. And as soon as it came up, I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> but it wasn't as bad as I remember it being. So I don't know if I just want, have seen too many horror movies and too much body horror or if, like, Strike has a much grosser version of the same type of thing. And I was just, like, inputting that into it. That the sum,
1: yeah, it's great. The other thing and the last thing that I'll say about this movie that I didn't really appreciate as much or you know stick with me when I watched it and i'm I'm with you. I haven't watched this for years and years and years over thirteen years at least um was this movie kind of puts out there in its own way the idea of vulnerability being okay
0: and particularly vulnerability for boys,
1: yeah, exactly for. For young boys.
0: And um, and to express to each other. Yes. Like the beauty in, like the closeness that can develop when boys or male friendship, when they are willing to like show their vulnerability. Yeah. It's really beautiful. I had, it, it having been so long, I had forgotten about like the fireside scene. Mm-hmm. And then I had, of course, as I'm watching it, like as they start, I like the whole thing comes back. But that scene, and then the scene between those two characters near the end of the film, where there's where there's tears in both of those scenes, are just like kudos to those, you know, to River Phoenix and Will Wheaton at the time for being able to like produce those performances. Mm-hmm. Um, they're incredibly affecting.
1: Yeah, like even there's just there's this patience with the characters of like letting them feel their feelings when they're having feelings, Mm -hmm. it doesn't even need to be big, big, you know, drawn out moments or anything like there's, there's that in here and they're wonderfully played, but there's just these smaller moments too, where they, they give each other the space that they need and the respect that they need.
0: And there's not necessarily a resolution or like a solve to the problem, but it's, I'm getting to express like, you know, it's almost the opposite of what you're saying in zucchini. We're like, they finally let this out and they stop internalizing these feelings and, Mm -hmm. and just simply being able to say these things out loud provides a sense of relief that another Mm. person knows they feel this way.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And
0: they don't try and solve it for each other. They just like bear witness to it.
1: That celebration of being able to externalize your feelings. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's, it's lovely.
0: I have a great I have two funny things. Do you have something else you want to say?
2: No, nope, you okay. go for it.
0: Um, one is that there was a Renaissance fair filming nearby. And Kiefer Sutherland has said in an interview that the cast bought cookies not knowing that they were special cookies. Oh no. And Jerry O'Connell disappeared after eating one of these cookies and they found him hours later crying and high in the park. Oh no. <laughs> Yeah. The other thing is, I found a Letterboxd account. I'm not going to say the name. I don't know if this is meant to be funny or if this is the like dumbest person in the world, but this was their review for this movie. Most overrated movie of all time tries too hard to be Stranger Things. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that's satire.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, just you got to check your release dates.
0: <laughs> but that person also left this review for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless of Spine, which is, I want to watch The Mask, not this shit.
1: That makes me feel...
0: <laughs> <laughs> I gave both of them one star.
1: <laughs> I feel like it's
0: Got to be satire? S- satire, because... Not very effective, no. but um, anyway. This movie means a lot to me. I was glad to revisit it and find that it still does. Mm-hmm. How did this movie make you feel?
1: It made me feel nostalgic from watching it so much as a kid um and it just it made me feel so wrapped up in the storytelling. Mm. It's very good, and it it all comes from Stephen King, like he's just a master storyteller
0: yeah
1: um but it, and it also just reminded me like this sound the soundtrack is iconic as so well. good it's it's very, very good um yeah, how make you feel?
0: I also have nostalgic. It made me mistal- nostalgic for the film and for like my experiences of watching the film. Mm. Like there's this weird like meta nostalgia going on. Also made me nostalgic just for childhood, like for the time that the boys are um that I didn't say that well, but you know what I mean. And it made me appreciative of like being an adult now. Yeah. And it made me appreciative for like writing and art and how those exist like because that's part of the story as well, the way that the character of the writer is using his writing to honor this time in his life and, you know, have that catharsis now. And I, I think that's a really beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Oof, I feel like we're going to maybe piss some people off with this one. Yeah.
1: Uh, so my mystery movie pick next. I chose the 2006 adventure drama fantasy film The Fall. Directed by Tarsem Singh and written by Dan Gilroy, Nico Sultana, and Tarsem Singh. And it was based off of a 1981 screenplay called Yo Ho Ho from Valerie Petrov. Um, our main two protagonists in this are Lee Pace, who plays Roy and Katinka Untaru, who plays Alexandria. Synopsis is in a hospital on the outskirts of 1920s Los Angeles. An injured stuntman begins to tell a fellow patient, a little girl with a broken arm, a fantastic story of five mythical heroes. Thanks to his fractured state of mind and her vivid imagination, the line between fiction and reality blurs as the tale advances. So this is... I've kind of never seen this movie before. Neither of us have. And this came out... I remember this kind of coming out and being watched a lot when I was working at Blockbuster. And I've always kind of held it in high regard as like, this is an amazing movie. I know a lot of people love this movie and just think it's like an incredible feat of filmmaking. And watching it here, there were some different feelings that came (laughs) up, but we'll get into that. What do you think of the fall
0: I did not like this movie.
1: Yeah. It was not great.
0: <laughs> and I mean, I think we've talked about this on the show before, but I actively try to avoid watching movies I'm not going to like. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't feel the need to cover a movie just because. Yeah. Um Very rarely do I feel like I need to watch something for the sake of watching it. And so I think, you know, on this show, we tend to skew pretty positive because mm-hmm. we tend to not pick movies that we know we're not going to like. But like you, I had thought I would love this movie. Mm-hmm. I've heard so many things about it, but honestly, it just made me pretty uncomfortable.
1: Yeah. They really try to sell it to you. Like right off the bat, it's like presented by David Fincher and Spike Jones. So. But it's interesting
0: because like. I read that they had absolutely nothing to do with this film. They were just like, yeah, you can put our names on it
1: <laughs> to help like, you sell some tickets.
0: Yeah. So. Even that feels like, honestly, this whole film just feels gimmicky to me.
1: It feels, I said this right after it ended, it feels like a product of its time.
0: It does. It feels very 2006. And there's a part of me, and I think I said it when we watched it, where I'm like, I bet you if I had watched this in 2006, I would have loved it.
1: Big time. Oh, yeah. And
0: It has a bit of a Quentin Tarantino.
1: Yeah. Like, it's just, you said when we got to the end, and I totally agree with this, that there is a better story here, mm-hmm. but I, yeah, I just feel like it's overthought. It's trying to do so much. It, I remember it just being just like applauded for being like traveling the world and shooting across across so many different uh, locations and and whatnot. I'm like, you didn't need any of that. There's such a good, smaller, more intimate story that could be told more succinctly and much better and have more emotional heft in my eyes if you just trimmed all of that other stuff out. Well,
0: and that's why it feels gimmicky to me. Like, we're just supposed to applaud this movie because it's filmed in so many different countries. and
1: It wants a lot of ooh-ah from us.
0: And then at what point does that become kind of exploitative to just, like, pop Mm. into a country to say, hey, I filmed in Egypt, yeah, and then pop out, you know, without actually... Because I found the depictions of people, cultures, places really reductive. Yeah. And then the, you know, when I was trying to read up about it afterwards, because I actually am not seeing a lot of criticism of this. And maybe it's because it's not as widely watched and, and it's a little bit older. Like, I think if this came out today, it would be lambasted. Um mm-hmm. But it tries to justify that through like, oh, but it's this little girl envisioning someone else's story. So she doesn't have the life experience to not be reductive. And I'm like, well.
1: (laughs) So she's ignorant.
0: (laughs) She's ignorant. Like,
1: what are you saying about our like our main protagonist?
0: So, well, I mean, she's five.
1: But she's ignorant.
0: She's ignorant. So I actually really liked the majority of the Lee Pace and Katina. What's her name? Katinka and Intaru's storyline like that part the I actually really liked. Yes. yeah that kid is I mean did you read much about how like um, I mean I don't know how ethical this is but that her and most of the crew were led to believe that Lee Pace actually was a paraplegic and so like they <laughs> no. never saw him walking and yeah like I don't know how ethical the, that is the
1: whole yeah whole handling of that is there's some like deep <laughs>
0: within this but we won't get too far into that other than it made me uncomfortable um but they did a lot of like so there's a lot of scenes where Katinka and Tara's like Alexandria is like on the hospital bed with Roy um and the like curtains pulled around them so i guess that a lot of that was just like totally improvised like they just let Ale- like let the actor talk to Lee Pace oh. and then like we kind of have the camera like through a hole so like it didn't feel like they were surrounded by people she's adorable oh, and, and like hilarious. so sassy and like it's so great but to me this film kind of, kind of tries to like have its slice of life and eat it too mm. Where like it's not invested enough in the present day of the characters to function well for me as a slice of life film which is one of my favorite kinds of films yeah but it's also not invested enough in the fantasy story for that to be the key story yes kind of like the princess bride where Mm. You know the grandpa and the boy really aren't that important. Yeah. The story is the fantasy.
1: Yes, and the fantasy is really good. And it's
0: really good in this. It wants both of them to have heft, and yet neither of them are strong enough.
1: This is yeah, absolutely. That's a great way of putting it. Because yeah, the when we whenever we jump to the fantasy stuff, I got bored. It, it's yeah, like it's it's meant to be all ooh ah, and I was just like ooh ah. Uh. <laughs> yeah,
0: and especially just like. Like, the p-
1: making that comparison to Princess Bride, I love all the characters when we enter the fantasy world. All of our lead people that are in the Princess Bride are great characters. I couldn't tell you anybody's name. I couldn't tell you who... Like, in this one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well,
0: first of all, they don't really have names because they're so... Like, it's the Indian. And yeah. which, like, that...
1: That's a whole oh, bag of worms. yeah.
0: Like I didn't even understand what was going on with that because there's some language used in this film that's unexcusable. Mm-hmm. Um and then I, when I read like the justification for it, I was like, uh, uh not buying that. But yeah, they don't have names other than Charles Darwin. Yeah. Which like again, I'm like, what do you like why? Yeah. Why is it Charles Darwin and I don't even remember. I don't even remember all of their names. No. But it's like the masked bandit. Like they don't have names. No, they're not Wesley. Buttercup. Buttercup. Yeah. I, I like. I don't like how how negative I'm being right now. Like I. Just, but
1: I just I feel duped. I do too. Like not to jump the gun and get into how <laughs> this made me feel, but I, that's just how I feel. Like it. I had such high expectations for this based on what I've heard, based on a lot of the reviews that I see on Letterbox. But I'm. I feel like it might be a product of people saw this during the time like we said if we had seen it back in 2006 seven, 8, we might have been like oh incredible feat of film I think disclaimer. I would
0: have like I think if I had seen this when I was 16 I would then have Then it would loved. be
1: like a 4 or 5 on Letterbox. Mm-hmm. It's like oh yeah the fall. Yeah, I loved that movie, but watching it now it just does not it does not live up to the standard of storytelling of like more recent or even things in the past that just did it better and stand the test of time and are more accessible and do better jobs with storytelling and characterization. It just, it misses the yeah, mark.
0: It made me think of another film, which I believe you've never seen and I'm not going to name it because I've been wanting to show it to you for 13 years. Okay. Um, that is from like a similar kind of perspective and and blends fantasy and reality that I haven't, I also haven't seen in 13 years, so we'll see if it holds up. But It just made me think of all these films that have elements of this that I like better. Like even like Pan's Labyrinth came up for me.
2: Yeah, and I was like, I like
0: Pan's Labyrinth better. Um, It made me want to rewatch Bodies, Bodies, Bodies because I like Lee Pace.
1: He's gorgeous, and he's (laughs) he's gorgeous. (laughs) He's an amazing (laughs) actor. Not
0: to reduce him to his body, body, body. He's a great actor. I love. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we liked pushing Daisies independent of each other. If you, the listener, has not seen *Halt and Catch Fire*, the TV show, (laughs) please invest the time in it. It is one of the. It is one of my favorite TV shows I've ever seen and not enough people have seen it Mm -hmm. Um, with Lee Pace and Mackenzie Davis, who like it's a bisexual's dream. Like
1: and like if and I feel like each season of it is a little bit different. Like it evolves as it goes on. So it's worth sticking it out. It's it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Um, uh, Yeah. (laughs) How to make you feel.
0: So it's funny that you say what you that you said what you said because this is what I have written down verbatim in my notes. It made me feel a little duped and pretty uncomfortable.
1: Yeah. Uh I agree with that. I I feel disappointed. Yeah. Um let down. Yeah. I mean, it's beautiful?
0: It is beautiful. It's well acted.
1: Yeah. For sure, but it's It's hollow. Yeah. Misses
2: the mark.
0: It's what um, Stephen King says about Kubrick's The Shining. And for the record, I like Kubrick's The Shining. But he says it's a Cadillac with no engine. (sighs) Stephen. So good. (laughs) Stephen. (laughs) Her good buddy, Stephen. Okay. Going in another direction. Here's the day where we take everybody off for not liking the fall, but liking this next movie. (laughs) 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 So you gave me a request. You said not that I want to like take over your mystery night, but can you pick something fun? Yeah. And I said, "Can horror count as fun?" You said, "Yes, just don't pick a slow burn."
1: Horror is always fun.
0: Sometimes it's a slow burn. That's still fun. Yeah. Okay. Horror is always fun.
1: I'll take I'll take a slow burn horror movie over the fall.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Any horror movie over the fall. So I picked the 2012 remake of a 1970s film called Maniac. It's a horror slash thriller, but I would probably just call it a horror. It's directed by Frank Calfoon, written by Alexandra Aja, who's like done a couple things we've seen, and Gregory Lavasser and it's based on an original film by Joe Spinell. So I picked this because it's starring our favorite Elijah Wood as Frank, and then Nora Arnazetter as Anna, and I feel like that's all that's really important. Um, synopsis. As he helps a young artist with her upcoming exhibition, the owner of a mannequin shop's deadly suppressed desires come to the surface. What do you think of maniac
1: um I thought it totally nailed because it's a remake a seventies movie yeah like it it nailed just some of the seventies horror movie tropes and isms that they have perfectly like i i like like there's a lot of boobaloobaloobies in this. <laughs>
0: Yeah, <laughs> which is so seventies horror, especially like seventies B horror. Yeah, where it's like you know, like when we saw Silent Night, Deadly Night, and I'm like, whoa! All the women are getting killed while they're topless. Yeah, <laughs> very nineteen seventies horror. Big time. Women just walking around topless. Yeah, and then getting killed. <laughs> you know, as the, as we do.
1: Yeah. Um, I thought this was I thought this was really creepy and and really fun and yeah, like you said, like I love. Elijah Wood, I especially just love. He just seems like such a sweet boy. He and just he, his love of horror is so sweet. It's it's he's he's he a nice little
0: liar. does seem like such a sweet boy. Like he can play such a sweet handsome boy, but he can also be a total creep.
1: Oh, big time. See
0: also Sin City.
1: Oh my god. Which like I don't. He makes that movie for me. Honestly, I barely we haven't it. seen
0: that in years, and I don't think it'll hold up. So I kind of like don't want to go back to it. But I did, I was obsessed with that movie as, like, a 15, 16-year-old. Yeah. Um, But I saw it in the theater. I don't know when it came out.
1: Oh, I don't know. We snuck into it.
0: My mom took me and my sister to it, fell asleep, and then woke up near the end and was like, why is he yellow? And, like, (laughs) shouted it. (laughs) And, like, I was like, mom. came out in 2005, so I would have been 15. Also, course correction, the original Maniac came out in 1980. Oh, well. So all this stuff we're saying about 70s horror, (laughs) right? Yeah. Um,
1: the put your boobs away. <laughs>
0: <laughs> maybe this was like the last hurrah of like horror movie movies. Yeah. yeah, maybe. Because so I feel like it doesn't. I, I support not having that be a thing anymore. <laughs> I do, <laughs> um, but it does seem like it's not not something that we like. I feel like if nowadays we'd be like, really, mm-hmm. um, but it does like. Speak to a particular moment in horror time, especially slasher movies. Yeah, big time. This is a slasher movie.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, big time. The th- and like it's uh, it gave me like very Americanist American Psycho vibes. Um,
0: but like step down the characterization.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, big time. Uh, again, it's it's so interesting. The when we choose to tell stories this way, where we're kind of our killer or our our main antagonist is our protagonist.
0: Yeah. It got me thinking. So this movie is almost entirely in first person, which for the record, I didn't love me neither. Um, so I really, I really enjoyed this movie. I, by no means think it's like a good movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, I think if you, if you aren't somebody who just like likes slasher movies and likes gore, probably not going to like this movie. Yeah. Um, but in terms of somebody who's just like, yeah, I like horror. I like slashers. It's pretty fun. Yeah. So in terms of the first person, again, we're kind of we kind of did a sacrilegious thing, and we saw we haven't seen the original Maniac, and I picked this for us. But we watched a trailer for the original Maniac, and it's also been featured on Eli Roth's History of Horror, the TV show, and I do believe the first one's also in first person. Now, I don't really know what function the first person serves. Like, generally, first person, like, in film, it's meant to, like, put us in that person's shoes. There's a couple moments where the film isn't in first person, but it isn't in a dream or fantasy sequence. And I was like, w- so why did we switch?
2: Hmm.
0: Like, it was a little unclear. And I think, like, my favorite use of first person that I think is used strategically and minimally to effect is in Black Christmas. Mm-hmm. So... I was just like, oh, you know, I could have used like less of this. I think what was the thing you said?
1: It, it's like they saw the opening scene of John Carpenter's Halloween and they're like, let's do the whole movie like this. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's hard. Like it makes me a little motion sick. You yeah. Know, all that stuff.
1: No, I agree. It's it's not my favorite device that's used. And you kind of said like it's not even it kind of surpasses first person. and feels like second person. A yes, because bit.
0: we are him. Yeah. But then I didn't. I don't feel like the film really tried to make us empathize with him by putting us in his shoes or even make us uncomfortable by putting us in his shoes. The way that like, I feel the last of us Two, the video game does that incredibly well Mm -hmm. by using the device of like, you are the character Mm -hmm. to make you question the choices you make when you play video games Mm -hmm. in like a funny games kind of way. Um, so like all of the devices it uses, I was like, ah, uh, like I don't feel like they have any like elevated cinematic effect, but the gore is great. Mm-hmm. The special effects are pretty good. The editing's a little bit cheese.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um, I have a quick question for you just yeah, to jump course, back to yeah. perspectives.
1: Have you played, in terms of video games, have you played many first person or any first person video games? What is
0: a, can you give me an example?
1: So like Usually, they're first-person shooters.
0: James Bond Golden Golden Eye. Eye. yeah. I have played it a lot. It always made me motion sick.
1: But... Like, where
0: you can only see the hands. Yeah. So, Last of Us isn't considered that?
1: That'd be, like, third person. Okay. I was was just kind of curious, like...
0: I haven't played a lot. I've, like... My high school... This person I was dating in high school, I, like, went to, like, a LAN party that he was doing for Halo with, like, some of his friends... And then I was, like, really bad at it. And then he was mad at me for being bad at it. So then I just started jumping off of buildings just to, like... I was like, well, now I'm not even going to try to be good. Yeah, because, why like, am I here? Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, That's actually, like, that just kind of made me think. And I'm sure it exists, but I can't think of any first-person video games that aren't just shoot 'em up games uh, and have kind of a little bit of a deeper... Like, I feel like...
0: I'm sure they exist.
1: Like, I feel like first-person... The intention might be, whether it's film or video games, has the intention of like wanting to put the viewer or the player into into the the person's shoes. Whereas I feel more of a connection when you see the character.
0: Well, it's interesting because as a person who teaches English literature and creative writing, when I talk about second person, which to me serves the same function as a first person film or video game, Mm -hmm. you know, to read an entire novel in second person would be pretty awful. Mm. But a short story or, like, a section of a text, you know, I talk to my students about that, about, like, what's the effect of using it? And, like, is there a reason behind doing it? Because at certain points when I'm watching this, I'm like, whoa! like, I'm losing the story because I'm just, like, so... Like, it actually, to me, having this in first person made me, like, really detached from the character of Frank, yeah, which like maybe that was the intention i don't, I, don't, I don't know that there is intention here <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> other than like to make a fun horror film, which like thumbs up, yeah, um yeah, I don't know
1: yeah i I don't know, I don't know either, but in terms of maniac, I agree, like the practical effects are awesome, uh, yeah, I think I think that they're again just like really innovative with some of the <laughs> some of the gore that's in here, um and also like really smart. Camera work because we are first person, and you know, they paid the money to get Elijah Wood to be our lead. So, you got to show Elijah Wood on camera. How do you do that? Through reflections and mirrors. Um, So, you got to do some really clever camera work to make it seem like you're actually Elijah Wood looking dead, dead center or dead straight ahead into a mirror when Mm -hmm. clearly it's a camera that's looking into a mirror. Mm -hmm. So, the kind of visual trickery that needs to happen for us to feel quote unquote feel like we're Elijah Wood, you know, (laughs) Uh, but I think it's done really well. I think, I think it's really smart.
0: I think, um, also like the mannequin of it all is pretty creepy and fun. And like, I think they could have gone further with it. Yeah. But I, I liked everything they did with it. I thought the final scene was amazing. And in fact, I would have Mm -hmm. cut it a little bit sooner than they did. Um, yeah, it was pretty good. <laughs> but I, I really liked it. I do have a question, though. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, I'm glad you brought up American Psycho because I was struggling to think of films that focus on the killer as opposed to the victim, like mm-hmm. where that's our, for, like, and that's our protagonist. Can you think of any other ones? And what's your preference? Because, you know, I think of Black Christmas, which has these moments where we're, and Black Christmas is one of my like, all time favorite movies, not just all time favorite horror movies. Mm-hmm. We're like, we have moments where we're first person from the killer's perspective, but we're definitely following the sorority women. Yeah. Like, that's definitely, or like, you know, I, and same thing with Halloween. We're definitely following Jamie Lee Curtis. We're not following Michael Myers.
1: But I feel like in Rob Zombie's Halloween, yes. he flips that and Mike Myers is our protagonist. And I liked
0: that a lot when I was like a teen, early 20s. But when we rewatched it last Halloween, I was like, mm. yucky, yucky. Yeah, I'll stick with John Carpenter from now on. Can you think of any others?
1: <sighs> yeah. Mm. No? None that really come to mind. I mean, I'm thinking it's not mo- a movie, but the, the one episode of, I mean, many episodes of Black Mirror.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like maybe just like with, the use of first person, or like I was saying, the use of second person in writing, having it be a half hour or a one hour exploration of like a, in a television show, mm-hmm. lends itself better than a whole film. Mm-hmm. I guess um, I'm going to put that question out to people who are listening. If you can think of like good examples of like the protagonist being the killer, um, DM us or like comment on our on our post on Thursday.
1: And how did it? How did it affect you? Yeah. How, like how did it? How did the that movie make you feel or having that perspective make you feel.
0: Do you have a preference like watching from the killer's perspective or the victim's perspective Yeah, or the like survivor's perspective? Um, I feel like yeah. the,
1: the reason that we always see it from the survivor's perspective is because that's us. We, we, we want to assume that the general public, most of the general public are not murdering psychopaths. So we want to kind of see how people, People in our shoes or put ourselves in other people's shoes of how we would react or respond if we were put in these scenarios. Yeah. It makes, and I feel like it makes us feel yucky <laughs> if it's like, oh, I'm, am I supposed to be rooting for the person with the chainsaw? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Let's make Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but from Leatherface's perspective. There probably is one out there that we haven't seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mostly sequels. Um, Yeah, I thought this movie was fun though. I thought it fit the bill for what we were supposed to do. Probably should watch the original first. We'll watch it at some point. Um, I posted about it on our Twitter at Bad Dad Rad Dad, 33 followers. Do you want to be number 34? And um, (laughs) our friend Lori, who is one of the hosts of Queer Horror Cult, was like, hit me up when you're ready to watch the original. And so I said, okay, that's the second film added to the list of things that we want to watch together. Oh, well, maybe watch it with her at one point.
1: I think this October is gonna rock. Like, oh
0: yeah. We we gotta watch the movies with Lori in October. Yeah.
1: Last I know we've probably said this multiple times, but last October we watched a horror movie every, every day. single day. Uh sometimes multiple in yeah. a day. And it was So fun. So fun. So I'm really excited for
0: So be October. prepared for a stock a lot. A lot of horror in October. Yeah. Okay. How did Maniac make you feel?
1: made I me mean, feel creeped out, made me feel yucky, and I enjoyed every minute of it. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I was like engaged and grossed out in equal measure, and I loved it.
1: Yeah, lovely. Okay, last that, film, last movie of the week, and this was a fun one. We watched the 1998 comedy slash crime movie,
0: <laughs> it is a comedy crime.
1: <laughs> uh, The Big Lebowski from 1998. I said 1998 already, I'll say it one more time 1998. It was directed by Joel Cohen and written by Joel and Ethan Cohen, aka the Cohen brothers. And it stars Jeff Bridges as the iconic character, the Dude. John Goodman as Walter. Julianne Moore as Maude. C. Brucemi as Donnie. And the late and great Philip Seymour Hoffman as Brandt. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The synopsis. Ultimate L.A. slacker Jeff the Dude Lebowski. Mistaken for a millionaire of the same name. Seeks restitution for a rug ruined by debt collectors, <laughs> enlisting his bowling buddies for help while trying to find the millionaire's missing wife. That is
0: a hundred percent the synopsis.
1: <laughs> so and good. it's so
0: good that that's what the film is about, uh, really and truly. If you've never seen it, that is what the film is about.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um. So our favorite theater, Metro Cinema, was putting this on, and it was so great. So I've only ever seen this movie in the theater. I've never watched this at home.
0: So have you? But you've seen it more than me.
1: I don't know about that mm,
0: I think, that I, don't think I've you, seen I think you might be lying because I thought when we went and saw it in the theater the first time, which was my first time ever seeing it, that you had already seen it before.
1: You know what, I think I might have watched it in film class in
0: in high school in
1: high school, not to study, but because my teacher didn't want to teach, so he <laughs> threw on the big Lebowski
0: <laughs> This is quite the film so I felt, but I think school. I've only
1: seen it three times, two times in the theater, but you lied. Uh, well that's, you know, call me bad bad dad of the week. Um, but it was so cool. Last time they, we saw it at Metro and this time they have a little bar set up where they're serving white Russians. Mm -hmm. Um, it was so cute. So we showed up quite early for the, for the, for the show and we just saw the people filing in and there was just like this vibrating energy Mm -hmm. in the lobby. But this whole family, group of friends, I don't know what the well, relation was. There was. was kids. But like this whole group of people, kids and adults, were all dressed up in like robes.
0: With white t-shirts with, and <laughs> shorts. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and like some of them had sunnies on. It was just so full, cute. fully committing to the dude cosplay.
0: A lot of people in the dude's um, sweater. Yeah. And then like quite a few people in their bathrobes and sunnies.
1: It was, it was awesome. And like... I mean it wasn't sold out but pretty was, close.
0: Yeah, it was pretty full. It, it
1: was full. And I love there's you know I love being in a full theater but I love being in a full or nearly full theater at Metro because there's just because of the kind of films that they show there's just this electric energy that I find you rarely feel when you go to a Cineplex.
0: Yeah, so I'm going to like agree with you and add to that I love being in a Full or nearly full theater at Metro when they're playing a classic film. Yes. So like where nearly everyone in the theater has seen it before and already loves it mm-hmm. or like knows it's iconic and is seeing it for the first time or like is with their family or friends who love this film and they're wanting to show it to them. Because that's where, was it Metro where we showed my brother Jaws? Yeah. And you showed me Die Hard in a sold out theater I saw yeah. it for the first time at Metro. A Christmas time. We've gone and seen Gremlins in a sold out Show there we've seen scream, and there's yeah there's something about it. Maybe we should like ask the question to really get into stuff. But <laughs>
1: <laughs> what do you think of the Big Lebowski?
0: <laughs> Just you know trying to follow the format. <laughs> there are rules, and we've got to follow the rules.
1: Mm, rules are meant to be broken.
0: <laughs> you get what I'm quoting here? Yeah. Okay, 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 gotcha. <laughs> trying to be funny. Um Okay. What did I think? I think seeing it in the theater, it's the only way I've seen it. And mm-hmm. I've only seen it in the theater at Metro, which is different than seeing it at like Cineplex where five people show up. Because sometimes Cineplex plays classic movies. And like when we saw 2001 Space Odyssey and IMAX, there was like four people in the theater.
1: <laughs> including us? Including us. Which was, <laughs> it was
0: great, but it's a different experience. Yes. So seeing this in the theater with like, so many people who this is clearly their favorite movie of all time mm-hmm. is like you said, electric. Yes. People are clapping as it starts. They're clapping when John Chaturro shows up. They're clapping when Sam Elliott shows up. This happened in Die Hard, like when you know the cop showed up for like we have the first scene with the cop, oh, and yeah, like everybody yeah. starts like whooping and hollering. And I was like, Well, this must be a good guy. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And but it's fun,
2: mm-hmm.
0: right? You know, like I I enjoy it in this where it's like there's there's a positivity to the clapping and the and the speaking. Like at one point before the dude trips, somebody was like, Watch your step. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and it was just like yes. so cute and sweet. And just like whooping and hollering and like almost preemptive laughter because people know the joke so well. And
2: mm-hmm.
0: it it elevates the experience. Like I yeah. I'm I will never know what it's like to watch this for the first time at home by myself.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I don't know if I'd like it less. But like, holy moly, is it funny to watch it with these people?
2: Yeah.
1: It's the only way I want to watch this movie moving forward. I will always go back to Metro whenever they show The Big Lebowski. And I feel like, because we saw it Mm pre-pandemic, and then obviously throughout the pandemic, they weren't open, so they didn't play it. So this might have been like the triumphant return of The Big Lebowski at Metro. So this might be some like the
0: second time you've used that word today.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But this might be... The, you know, a lot of people, maybe they go every year.
0: Yeah. And they haven't been able to.
1: Yeah. So I feel like maybe that that added to the electricity because there was, there was cute too. There was just like a dad and a son that were like cosplay. And it's just like this cute thing of like, I'm taking my boy to, to the, big the Big Lebowski.
0: And it's interesting because when you first said like, I saw this in high school, I'm like, whoa, it's so inappropriate for high school. But it's actually not. There's just a lot of swearing. But like the and content some, of it,
1: there's some boobaloobaloobies.
0: Yeah, not a lot though. No, no. But you're right. There are some. Um, do you want to know how many times the F word or its variations are used in this film? Yeah. Do you have a guess?
1: Um, I'll say. I'll say two o five.
0: Two ninety two. Really. <laughs> Now, to add to that, the word- Is it
1: mostly John Goodman? <laughs> I,
0: I don't know. This is coming from IMDb Trivia, so if it's wrong, don't yell at me. The word man is used 147 times by the dude alone, <laughs> which is one and a half times per minute.
1: Oh, wow. <laughs> That's incredible. That is a great record to hold. <laughs> and
0: uh, I guess Jeff, uh, Jeff, John Goodman, wow, oh. Jeff Bridges. But it was John Goodman. That's where I messed up. John Goodman in an interview said that like this film, like Eighth Grade, which is something that Bo Burnham and um, shoot, what's her name who's in Eighth Grade? Elsie Fisher. Elsie Fisher have talked about is that it feels improvised, but it actually wasn't. Like every um and ah and stutter was scripted. John Goodman said like this film was scripted. Like every dude, every man, every F word was scripted. And the one improvised line that made it into the film was when the dude calls the Big Lebowski a human paraquat. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only improvised line that made it into the film. You
1: know what? Do you know what makes that even more impressive, though, is if all of those stutters, stammers, ums and ahs are built into the script, how do you then translate that as an actor to make that seem off-the-cuff, genuine, yeah. very humanistic. It makes you know? it
0: both so impressive from a screenplay perspective and so impressive from an acting perspective. Because that scene um, that, like, it just keeps flipping back and forth. It's in the car where, like, uh, the Big Lebowski and his, like, servant person yeah, yeah, are, like, there. And then it keeps switching between them and the dude who's just on one half of the car with his white Russian or whatever yeah. he's got. And he like he say he's stuttering and he's not really making a lot of sense and he's talking in circles and he keeps being like man, like it's one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life.
1: Something I noticed when he was talking is like he's just so he's just so like, ah, ah, and, <laughs> ah, ah, and like he's just so like caught it up in his words and his brain. It's so good. It's like it. Jeff Bridges is brilliant in this movie. Everybody is. Every, oh yeah. Everybody. Came and knew the assignment.
0: And did such a good job. And did so well. I read a review, I can't remember who it was, on Letterboxd that talked about how this is a stoner comedy that, like, takes everything seriously, as opposed to just, like, a fun buddy stoner comedy. And you know mm-hmm. how I feel about stoner comedies.
2: Love them. Love
0: them. I love walking into a place and a stranger talking like the dude talks. I'll walk out and you'll be like, you loved that person, didn't you?
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, Him. Like,
0: even if that person isn't high... The fact that they speak like a stoner, I'm just like I, I love that way of speaking, that who, casual, like surfer dude. Who are some
1: of your faves? So the dude, Jason Mewes, Jason Mewes,
0: love Jason Mewes.
1: Uh, like you, have you seen Fast Times?
0: Uh, maybe uh, if I have, I don't remember. So, I like that one v- DJ on radio DJ on Sonic,
2: Lauren, Lauren, Lauren.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And again, I'm not saying anybody is stoned or high, but they just like have that um, cadence in the way that they talk. Even in
1: real life, yeah, when we run in, when we have like a server at a restaurant,
0: Shaggy from Scooby Doo, (laughs) like, (laughs) oh man, I just, I wish I, I wish I had that casual approach. There's something about it that it just feels like this person is so relaxed and so like. So here's the thing: if we want to get serious about it. This movie is like a really strange thing for me to experience because it's so funny and it's like pretty lighthearted. Mm-hmm. But it actually makes me think so much of my dad. I've I don't I don't even know if my dad liked Cohen Brothers movies. I don't know if he had seen this movie. But there's three things that make it impossible for me to extricate my dad from this film. Mm-hmm. One is my family owned a bowling alley growing up. Mm-hmm. Not my family. My my grandparents on my dad's side owned a bowling alley and my dad ran the lounge, the the bar. And my dad always made paralyzers, which are, like, white Russians plus Coke. Yeah. Um, or Pepsi or whatever you want to put in it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Don't exclude anybody. I like Pepsi better, so <laughs> just,
0: just saying. Um, so the bowling part of it brings me back to, like, my childhood because my grandparents owned that bowling alley until I was 15. Um, and I spent a lot of time there. But also, my dad looked a lot like John Goodman when, like, John Goodman's, like, a little bit slimmer. Mm-hmm. But, like, my dad had a very similar nose and he had a very similar mouth. Um, And so, like, uh, John Goodman's facial expressions, like, really remind me of my dad. And in a lot of John Goodman's roles, he kind of plays that, like, teddy bear, big guy who's a teddy bear, which is, like, a lot of what my dad was like. But my dad looked like John Goodman, but his personality was the dude. Yeah. Like, my dad was the dude. (laughs) Dressed like a motorcycle guy <laughs> yes. looking like John Goodman working in a bowling alley. Mm. And so it's really like, it's hard for me to not just like see all of that mishmash and like associate it with him mm-hmm. in a really affectionate way. Yeah. Because like it's a really nice way where I'm just like, but then it makes me sad because i of like, this would be really fun to watch with my dad and yeah. be like, dad, you're the dude. Yeah. <laughs> My dad would wear a friggin' bathrobe and <laughs> and uh, oh yeah, dad, grab a white Russian and come watch that movie with your us. Your
1: dad wouldn't give a shit. Like, no, he, he'd wear that just to the store. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he would. That's the thing. He would. He never had like that sweet lousious hair that the dude has. Mm. But um, yes. Yeah. yeah. He was not Walter. My dad was not Walter.
1: Dress like him.
0: No. 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 He looked like John Goodman.
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But had the wannabe biker look of his own.
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah. Nice. More like yeah, more like Hells Angels, but I'm not a Hells Angel.
1: Hex Angels.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Anyway. Um, yeah. It's very sweet. It makes yeah. me wish he was alive and he could come see that movie with us. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I hear you. I feel that. Or you. Um
0: <laughs> Yeah. Thank this you.
1: movie this movie is hilarious. It's ridiculous. How would you describe the Coen Brothers humor? Because I love it.
0: I remember watching Fargo for the first time and I was like 18 or 19. I watched it with my friend Garrett. Neither of us had seen it before. And we were just like flabbergasted by how like much we loved it.
1: It's like. It's like this very poignant dryness.
0: Yeah, it's it's a dark dryness. Yeah. Like it is. But it's so, but this movie has like because of the character of the dude, it has such a soft warmth to it. Like man, he's just he just wants his rug back, man. Like <laughs> yeah, you know, like like a guy that calls himself the dude and is like. I also have to tell you the cutest thing. I was uh, I was in the lobby when you were like you went to go get seats, and there was a guy dressed as the dude with a person dressed as Bunny Lebowski. Mm-hmm. And they were ordered, he was ordering a white Russian and uh they had very inclusive um milk choices. They had three percent, two percent, cashew, oat, soy, and coconut. Damn. Yeah. And they asked him what kind of milk you want and he said, I'll take coffee mate.
1: Just <laughs> <laughs> fully committing to the bit.
0: Yeah. Which they didn't have. Uh very cute. Yeah. So That's great. Yeah, I love I love when people like love something so much yeah. and like seeing all these people who like, this is not my favorite movie of all time. It's okay. not my favorite Cohen Brothers movie even, but like watching these people that this is clearly their favorite movie ever and they're just like so excited and they're mm-hmm. laughing so hard. It's hard not to like find that infectious. Yeah. Because it's coming from a place of like warmth and positivity, mm-hmm. right? And I just like... How can you not love the dude?
2: Yeah,
1: the the dude is one of the best characters put on film. Oh yeah, iconic, so iconic. It, like they they have a whole dude bit in event in the Avengers Endgame movie.
0: Oh, with, with um with Thor? Thor.
1: Yeah, and it and it like everybody when we went and saw it in the theater for the first time, everybody got it. Every, oh yeah, everybody was there for it.
0: There's a lot of things like I. Only saw the Big Lebowski for the first time in like, I don't know, 2016, 2017. Mm -hmm. Like some friends of ours wanted us to come when it was playing at Metro because they heard we'd never I'd never seen it. And they were like, Are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. Um and I loved it. But even before that, I knew who the dude was. I knew the bathrobe. My brother, I think, liked this movie as like a teenager. And like
1: brother's a big bathrobe guy.
0: (laughs) He's not a the dude, but he does love a bathrobe.
1: Yeah. love a bath like he likes to
0: walk around like he dresses like the dude only at home he wouldn't i don't think he'd go to the store i'm like not that. a
1: bathrobe guy
0: no i'm not a bathroom <laughs> guy either um yeah some trivia
1: oh please yes
0: i was late coming down to our recording room because i was trying to make it through all of the imdb trivia and there's too much i didn't make it through but i got some good ones um, one, which I think is really cute, is like before every scene that they film, Jeff Bridges would ask the Cohen brothers, did the dude burn one on the way over? And if the answer was yes, he would rub his knuckles into his eyes until they were bloodshot. Uh. Um, In a
2: 2013
0: interview with Terry Gross, Joel Cohen told a story about having recently been at a movie theater in San Francisco, California, where he saw a booth displaying Lebowski posters. He was with Ethan Cohen, and then Ethan asked the teenage girl working there what was going on, and she proceeded to tell him that the theater screens it every night, and she said people come dressed in costumes, and then quote, "You should come, you'll like it, it's fun." She had no idea that they had made. The movie.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's great. When was this? Did it say two thousand
0: thirteen. Oh
1: wow! Yeah, yeah.
2: Okay. Um,
0: in a rare Cohen Brothers interview in two thousand nine. Joel Cohen flatly stated, the movie has more of an enduring fascination for other people than it does for us.
2: Oh, man.
0: Uh, also, most of the dude's clothes were obtained at local thrift stores, the kind of places they felt the characters would have bought clothing from. Mm. Costume designer Mary Zoffries later said, there was one line in the script that said that the dude was terminally relaxed. And that was the most important piece of information that I had.
1: Man, yeah, that is the best descriptor for that character.
0: <laughs> terminally, terminally relaxed.
2: Terminally relaxed.
0: And then this is my favorite bit of trivia. In the TV version of this film, there is a line that is repeated with a man holding a crowbar. But for the TV version, they changed it to, this is what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my God. Is that where Phoebe Bridgers got the name for her album? <gasps> Probably.
0: Probably. <laughs> Oh my goodness. If that's true, that is iconic.
1: That's amazing.
0: I wish I had Phoebe Bridgers on speed dial.
1: Hey, Phoebo. Hey,
0: was this, a, was this a Big Lebowski TV edit reference? this a deep
1: cut, <laughs> <laughs> reference? deep cut Big Lebowski reference? Isn't
0: that funny, though? This is what happens when you find a stranger in the Alps.
1: <laughs> Just over and over again. <laughs> we'll have to YouTube that. I, I feel like it's got to be out there. Oh, it's
0: probably very funny. Oh,
1: man, I love that. Anyway,
0: this movie is a laugh riot. It is so fun. It is, like, so at its core, very sweet. Other than, like, a couple moments where I'm like, oh, yeah guys be like in boobs and stuff, but um, it's great. It's great. And I like, I, th- I get a big laugh out of like Walter as this like weird hypocritical combination of like the left and the right, where he's like yeah. he's like pro-gun, he's always like talking about like his rights and freedoms, and then he'll like be like, that's not the correct terminology. Like we say Asian American. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah.
0: And you're just like, he's just this Contradict walking contradiction like, and
1: like if you met him today he'd probably be wearing like a mega hat but
0: and he'd have like a freedom sticker on his truck
1: <laughs> yeah and but, he would
0: not wear a mask
1: but he would also have like a pride sticker on, on the back of his <laughs> truck
0: <laughs> yeah goodness gracious
1: uh so how did seeing the big Lebowski again make you feel
0: just so entertained I think mm. the thing that it's so impressive about this movie to me is how strong the characters are. Mm-hmm. And I'm just so fond of them. Like I just watched this movie and I have a big smile on my face for how like fond I am of Donnie of, <laughs> yeah. you know, of, of, of course the dude, but even if like Maud is great, yeah. you know, I just feel so fond of the characters and it makes me so happy. Yeah. You.
1: Yeah. It just makes me, this makes me f- makes me feel happy. Happy that we saw it in the theater again and saw it with a crowd that absolutely loves it. Um yeah, exactly. Like I I felt so into and just like s- so impressed with the characterization of everybody, like you said, just from like big characters to sm- smaller background characters or it's just and hearing that about the script and it not being super improvised but having that feel to it so is impressive. like so impressive. Um like I said, I'll Anytime the Metro shows this. You'll be going. I'll be
0: going. Um, and speaking of that, the Metro, i like I can't end the segment without just shouting out that like the Metro has been doing this cool thing where they're having like local folks make um, posters. Mm. And this poster was made by one of our Bad Dad, Rad Dad listeners and um, somebody that I know pretty well. Isaac Pollard made the Big Lebowski poster and it was great. So cool. It's on there. It's on the Metro Cinema Instagram. Um, and Isaac's off to to school to like do film stuff. So I'm looking Wild. forward to the day where, like, we get to cover a film that yeah. Isaac's made. Hell yeah. So that was really cool. I also want to shout out that Metro is playing Jurassic Park um, on September 9th. Huh? And it's, the, like, the start of their new season. And that's going to be awesome. So Like, great. seeing that with a crowd is going to be great. And then the next night, they're playing Mac and Me. So, so great. So um, we will be going to all of that. We're considering going to the 100th showing of The Room. We've never seen it in the theater. Yeah. Should we go? Should we not? What do you think? I don't
1: know. That's, a, that's, that's another thing where, like, the movie's not great, but seeing it in a room full of people would probably be pretty fun. Yeah.
0: I've exactly. never seen Rocky Horror Picture show in a theater, and I'd like to do that too.
1: Yeah. Me too.
0: Anyway, that's it.
1: It's the time of the week to name some bad dads and bad dads.
0: Interestingly, there's weeks where I, like, really struggle. Yeah. I felt like I had too many options this week. Yes. So I'm, I'm curious to see how this goes. Do you want to tell me who your bad dad nominee is?
1: My bad dad nominee is Aunt Ida from My Life as a Zucchini. Yours too? That's, oh. Cam-
0: that's Camille's aunt, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah.
1: Wow. Okay. I mean, there
0: was a lot of choices. I mean,
1: yeah. I mean, of course, but like, well, good for us. Um, <laughs> Soulmate. Yeah. I mean, I just have that like super selfish, mm-hmm. the definition of selfish as a person, really hurtful. And just generally uninterested in parenting. Yeah. And being somebody that Camille or any any child that she's caring for can look up to, lean on, you know, it's
0: Especially considering, like, Camille has experienced something incredibly tragic. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I have that she's two-faced in an incredibly dangerous way. Yeah. She's exploitative. She's mm-hmm. uncaring. She's, like, straight up abusive. <laughs> yeah. And she's manipulative. So, yeah. Wow, that was neat. That was easy. Yeah. No, no um, debating this. Yeah. Camille's Aunt Ida from My Life is a Zucchini.
1: Pee-pee poo poo.
0: Pee-pee poo poo. Get on out of here. Hit the high road. Kick rocks.
1: Hit the high road. Take the low road.
0: Oh, yeah. Whatever. Get get out of here. It's just get out.
1: Yeah. Peace off. Who's your rad dad nominee?
0: I feel very strongly about this. Okay. Like very strongly about this. Yeah. My rad dad nominee is River Phoenix's character, Chris Chambers. Me too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Go on.
0: So, like, as I was watching the movie, because now I now this lens is kind of on when I watch movies, I was like, he's no one else can beat this. He's the rad dad. Mm-hmm. In that, in in there's a scene where Gordy is like talking. It's the it's the big vulnerable scene, right? And Gordy kind of says a couple things and River like or River Phoenix, Chris Chambers like his response shows his ability to like objectively see the bigger picture and make choices and offer advice that put his own feelings aside to look out for the best for somebody else. And it's like heartbreaking that like this kid is having to do like he even says if your parents can't do it, then I might as well like yeah. look out for you.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And like that, that burden is being put on him and that he's like taking up that mantle is like heartbreaking and so sad. Like it gets me emotional thinking about it, but like he's like a cheerleader and he's still fun, but he like is willing to be vulnerable and he like wants the best for him. And like, I just, anyway, I can't say anything else cause I like I'm getting emotional. So you tell me
1: yeah I think you've pretty much covered it like just how supportive he is and yeah and showing vulnerability and showing that you know he understands who he is in the minds of people around him, but he still strives to be the best version of himself that he can be um he's he's caring and yeah there's that like element of him that is all about tough love and not being afraid to give tough love to the people that he cares about
0: in the interest of like Helping them be their best. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Like not
0: not a mean spirited. Not way. to
1: put not to punch down, no. but to build up.
0: Co- totally correct. Well said.
1: Um, and Chris Chambers is a great Marvel superhero name.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it, that yeah, that character is.
1: There was a lot of rad dad choices this. Yeah, week, there were. But yet, I had no hesitation nope. in selecting Chris
0: me neither I like I wrote that down immediately and then for Bad Dad I kind of hummed and hawed a bit but this we didn't
1: even after we watched Stand By Me and I was putting my notes together I plugged Chris in right away and we had we watched two 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 or three more movies after Stand By Me
0: oh yeah three more movies and didn't move unwavering didn't move yeah so Chris Chambers be be your dad
1: okay before we get out of here the rad wreck of the week um, you don't know what this is but I said I was going to before we started recording I said I was going to tie this back to something yeah, we, we talked. usually in the agree intro.
0: on this but apparently it's a surprise today
1: I want to rad wreck the last of us video game
0: mm-hmm.
1: because as of this episode dropping they're re-releasing the last of us part one they did a remake of it and it comes out tomorrow as of, you, as of the release of this episode September 2nd I believe but it's my it, sister's birthday Oh happy birthday. Um but this is probably my part one and part two of The Last of Us are my favorite video games, series of video games. Would you say the same for yourself?
0: Oh, unquestionably. Yeah. Um one of my favorite pieces of media, forget video games.
1: Yeah, the the storytelling, the world, the characters. Unbelievable. But if you are a video game, player have the means to to play games highly recommend playing this the remake the experience of playing the last of us part two and you know the thoughtfulness behind the storytelling and even just like the gameplay experience of you know it won many awards for its accessibility features so it's putting it in the hands of more people and putting the story in the hands of more people that can play it they're they've updated the original game with that now um, and the graphics are up to par with where part two was at so it's a much more seamless gameplay experience from part one to two which is incredible so you know and if if you don't have the means to seek it out i recommend you know maybe going on youtube and finding if you have a let's play a let's player that you really like maybe find them playing through the game or you know what's really great is the series coming out. It's putting, I know a lot of people, a lot of last of us fans are, you know, poo pooing that they're putting out a last of us series. But I, I think I could speak for both of us where it's just a great thing that they're putting this absolutely incredible piece of media and this story in front of and making it accessible to so many more people Mm -hmm. who can't, play video games don't like playing video games i just love that this story is going to be seen and heard by so many more people i don't
0: think we need to gatekeep like just because a person doesn't have the financial or um physical or just interest uh, the financial or physical ability to play video games or interest in playing video games then we need to gatekeep and be like well then you never get to know about the last of us yeah like that to me is obnoxious if the series ends up being bad. I'll be really sad. Yeah. But if it ends up being good, we shouldn't be like, "Mm, it shouldn't have been made. And I will die on that hill. Yeah. That I don't think remakes are inherently a bad thing. No. Although I do think the remake of Goodnight Mommy is completely unnecessary.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But I I think, I I feel like the show's in good hands. Neil Druckmann, who is the director, the creative director behind the video games, is also one of the creative directors, and I believe one of the directors of some of the episodes of the HBO show. He's making it in tandem with one of the showrunners of Chernobyl, which, as a series, was you know pretty remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's the Red Wreck. If I, I will also say, it is a very bleak story. It is. Yeah, it's heavy. There's not a lot of joy. It's a lot of. I mean, there are happy moments, but it is a very bleak universe yeah. that the story is being told in and a bleak story.
0: It's heavy. Very heavy,
1: but totally incredible. So if you are at all interested, seek out The Last of Us.
0: And if you've played it before, maybe oh, it's time to play, play it again. again.
1: I mean, I love it so much. I mean, I'm shelling out the <laughs> the bucks to buy <laughs> this game again. You're ready to play it again right now. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a Red Wreck of the Week. But thank you all for listening. Uh, We drop a new episode every Thursday. And until then, you can follow us and slide into our DMs on Instagram at baddad.raddad. Help us build up those Twitter followers Mm -hmm. at baddadraddad. And you can get a sneak peek of what we've been watching on our individual letterboxed accounts. Our usernames are Elliot Cuss and Kylie Burton. Links for those are in the show notes. And we would absolutely love you forever if you could drop us a rating, review, or follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from. But that's going to do it for these two stinkies this week. So until next time.
0: I'm Kylie and my dad's dead.
1: I'm Elliot and my dad's a deadbeat. But remember, not all dads have to be bad.